Eurovision. Welcome to Eurovision, a podcast with a unique Irish perspective on the Eurovision Song Contest. 12 points. Ireland. Oh, Whenever you're listening to the Airvision podcast, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We've got a jam-packed episode for you today. We've got a big interview with Michael Keeley, who is the Irish head of delegation for RTE at Eurovision. We've also uh, got a bit of news because we'll be discussing the latest changes to the voting system at Eurovision, which is very, very exciting. We're really getting into the thick of it now. But first, how are you, Lou? How's things? How are you doing? Hi Connor, I'm good. <laughs> I'm very excited about today's episode. It's a big one. The big. boss man. Very big, I mm. know. Got a lot of questions as well from the listeners. Oh lads, I was on the socials today. <laughs> lads, not to sound like teacher telling you what to do, but in future, when we put up, do you have a question for X guys? That does not mean use the question box to hurl your abuse <laughs> at the national broadcaster. <laughs> I turned to Connor and landed over to do this pod. And I was like, lads, Connor, is that what this man's inbox is like? Because <laughs> holy God, some of this, it's funny, but it's not very constructive. Not at all. Um, but a, a lot of food for thought <laughs> yeah. and a lot that we do want to ask him is looking forward to that. Yes. How are you, Connor? anyway? I'm all good. Yeah. Busy, busy. We're getting into the proper thick of it in terms of Christmas and then Eurovision and my God, I feel like I can't keep up with life at the moment, but mm. I'm good other than that. It's good. good Voting time. changes. Talk yes. to me. So we have gotten rid of the juries for mm. the semi-finals, which means that the televote will decide 100% who goes through to the grand final. Indeed. At the final, it's still 50% televote, 50% jury. But we also got an added kind of televote, I guess you would count it, as the rest of the world mm. will be able to vote online for a fee. But they will be having a say now, which is interesting in itself. But before yeah. we touch on that, what are your thoughts on getting rid of the juries for the semi-finals? It's kind of multifaceted. On the one hand, I know they probably want to respond or even want to be seen that they're responding to the many issues, really, they had in 2022. Juries voting funny. And there's been various issues over the years. This year wasn't the only year. So I can understand what they're going for. And I'm sure it probably is difficult for the EBU to really monitor and manage international juries all over Europe and in Australia and make sure there's not funny business going on so I can see why they've done it but then on the other hand I don't know I just feel like the juries brought a level of quality what like I don't always agree with the jury I don't always agree with the televote but I think when you've got them both there you're going to get the better outcome Mm -hmm. than pure jury or 
pure tell about like lads you should bush pepper mall of 2019 <laughs> one of the best live eurovision performances of all time in my humble factual opinion just just swear there with that <laughs> factual i'm saying this with conviction uh he only got through because of the juries i think that would have been a travesty if he had then queued mm-hmm. because of a, a, a pure tell about but it, it's um it's multifaceted it's not perfect no system prob- probably ever re- really will be. I mean, listen, all I wanted was more than five juries yeah. per country, but I know that's probably hard to manage. What's your feelings anyway, Connie? I'm similar to you. I think definitely something had to change because like you yeah. had mentioned that, you know, there was things going on with juries. Um, is this the answer? No, I don't think relying 100% on the televote is the right way to go about it. They can buy SIM cards too. Exactly. There's, so like, you know, you need to monitor it in that sense as well. Yeah. Um, I think realistically what you said there, expanding the jury was probably the best option in my eyes. I think yeah. the EBU should have brought in a system where, you know, a criteria for jury. I know there's a very vague one of, you know, having music experts personalities and stuff like that I think there might have been you know not an exam but something in place that you know qualifies you to be a juror member um you know have someone in the room watching with them making sure that you know kind of like the leaving sir here in Ireland you know that is so yeah. so so there's strict there's so many elements then how do they ensure like that person isn't corrupt and the whole international vote thing I think is cool mm-hmm. um it's nice for fans abroad to have a say especially those who are invested in the contest I know there's a load in obviously the states South America the Philippines and Philippines stuff Indonesia lot, yeah. there seems to be a lot of fans and throughout Asia and Africa Canada and as well areas. Canada of course yeah so I think that's quite cool Um, once that's all managed and there's no real harm in it like I don't think it's going to no. drastically change results especially because they're all they're all in together it's interesting yeah. though the EBU seems to be pushing that international aspect of the contest like they yeah. had the American Song Contest last year there was always this home of Asia vision they've got Canada so, and then South America as well or the Americas coming up yeah. as well so it's interesting it is ahead. interesting yeah. yeah quickly do you think the these changes help hinder change yeah. anything really for Ireland in a way do you think any or is, is it staying the same we're still yeah, we're still not qualified lads look if the song is shite it's shite like <laughs> <laughs> and if it's the good honesty. it's good and a bit robbed I, I mean we did actually better in the televote last mm. year and we still wouldn't have qualified so there's no point in getting head up on it we came yeah. 11th right in the shop and see we did better in the televote televote yeah so like I don't think it's bad for us I think if we send something interesting enough that's kind of always our issue we send a lot of middle of the road Mm -hmm. stuff if we send something that can stand out then we have nothing to worry about but then we're always going to struggle in the semi-final let's be let's be honest I feel like we're always so downcast (laughs) about Ireland on this podcast (laughs) Um, but there's more to come on that (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Michael Keely welcome (laughs) (laughs) no that'll be a good chat I think it's a a well anticipated one when Connor and I started this podcast together in the last few months he has always been very high on our, on our list. list i was gonna say on our hit list jesus we don't kill people when we <laughs> no, have them on the show my god who no. <laughs> <laughs> gets it the gun and us takes them out one Stop by it. one Stop <laughs> it. 
Michael Keeley. We're, 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 all going, we're all going, no, 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 no threats here. Um, he's always been high on our list of guests to have on the podcast. So we do appreciate him giving up his time to come on. Yeah. So without further ado. Let's get to Michael Keeley. Here it is. Now on the Airvision podcast, we are delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest. He is the head of delegation for Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest and an executive producer within RTE. We are delighted now to be joined by Mr. Michael Keeley. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Hello, Connor. How's it going? You well? Not too bad at all. Now, Michael, you are probably one of the most sought out guests for the Airvision podcast. We've gotten so, so many questions from our listeners about the inner workings of Eurovision at RTE. So welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on. No problem at all. Listen, delighted to be joining you and Louise. Yeah, great. As Connor said, Michael, we were actually in on with questions for you. So many people had things they wanted to ask. One that I am really curious to know was asked by Kean on Instagram. What do you love about Eurovision? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, uh, do you know what? It was like a light bulb moment for me when I first went to Eurovision um, way back in 2008 with um, your all-time favourite entry, Louise, which was Dustin the Turkey. And <laughs> it was... Uh, I, I had been always been a kind of a fan of the sh- of the the show and always had paid attention to it when it was on TV. But I found myself in the midst of that whirlwind of you know whatever I don't know what you'd call it, but that whirlwind that Dustin was at was the source of. And um, I, I just it was so it was like a light bulb moment for me as a producer, as a television person, to see such a big show and to be part of such an enormous experience. And also, it, it was such a feel-good event. And it's the same every year when I go. It is very, very collegiate, not just amongst the TV people who are involved, like all the delegations, whatever. But the fans are so nice. The you know the, the just the, the the people that come every year to the event just bring such a warm good feeling to it that it's impossible not to love it you know and um, so that's really what I, I like about it um, I like the I like the music you know but I mean the 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 music is part of it the certainly the spectacle is part of it the fans are part of it the the event is part of you know so it's just all that combination stuff that I love. I think you're dead right about people falling back in love with the Eurovision Song Contest. You know, those people who perhaps fed out of love with it for one reason or another. But definitely we've seen it go from strength to strength in recent years. But Michael, 2022 was a big year for Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest. We went back to using, you know, the Late Late Show as a national final. We got Brooke out of it. We didn't qualify, but the hype behind Brooke was absolutely massive. So in your own view, how would you you review the 2022 selection process all the way from the start when submissions opened right through to the result? Um, Well, that's that's how long have we got. I mean, like the (laughs) so the, the, the process was pretty much the same as we'd, you know, we opened up these the sort of entries to anybody who wanted to enter a song in September, October last year. Um, we got about 300, so over 300 songs, maybe 350 songs, something like that. Then we 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 whittled them down to the six you saw on the late, late Euro song last um, February. Um, and I thought they were all, I thought there were six, six really, really strong entries. 
Um, and I actually, I was kind of encouraged that we were beginning to attract people who, if they weren't performers, they had written songs, you know, people like Nicky Byrne and Danny O'Reilly from the Coronas and stuff like that. So we were, we were, we were attracting people who were part of the music business, you know, and I think that's where we need to go because it is a professional song contest at the end of the day. I mean, it's, you know, we we always allow anybody who thinks they're they've got a song to enter. It's harder and harder to see somebody coming from the blue without any experience or any background or without any idea of how to record a song or produce a song properly uh, or how to structure a song. It's harder and harder to see those people getting through to a Eurosong final because the the competition is getting stronger every year. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's it's you only have to look at it to see that it, it's a really, really tough competition. So um, Brooke, as you know, eventually was successful in that process. And she was she was brilliant from the very start because she was somebody who, it was a natural performer. You know, she, she, she was somebody who was so en- enthusiastic and so wound up about getting on stage. That's all she cared about. And once she got on stage, she was brilliant. Cameras loved her as well. She was, and um, she has a natural instinct for just stagecraft and performance. So it was very exciting to get a performer of that caliber. That's not to say that some of the others in the Eurosong final wouldn't have been good as well, but she was the one that the public obviously decided and the jury decided was going to be it. Then we sat down with her, her manager Ronan, her choreographer. Emer Walsh, um, who I had put in touch with them actually before the Eurosong, they were they were asking me, did I know any choreographers? And uh, she was somebody who happened to get in touch with me after last year's Eurovision. So um, it was a good bit of fortune that we managed to team them up together. So then we all sat down and we we, we decided we were we decided to try and think of what we could do in Turin and how we could make the song stand out and all that kind of stuff. So then we get into that whole process of that creative um development where we we decide on a on a on a you know on a on a stage performance and then we just go about trying to perfect that and trying to make it the best that we possibly can. You know so after last year with Leslie, my natural inclination was to veer away from props because uh, we had a lot of props the previous year. So, and, and also I didn't think that the song, I didn't think that's rich, lent itself particularly to props, you know, and she was such a, such a good performer and we had such good dancers as well. We thought, look, let's just leave it as a kind of a dance troupe and let's look at ways that we can use graphics and pyro to good effect, you know, and that's what we did. Big fan of the pyro. That went down very well online. Yeah, it was it was a while since we'd used pyros. And so I thought, yeah, let's look at it. Look, it, there were natural points in the song where I thought we could introduce pyros to really, really good effect and to combine clever camera work and staging. And, you know, obviously Emer's amazing choreography and her natural instinct for you know for performance and all that kind of stuff and for for staging so it was it was a collaborative effort and and um it, it you know it all i thought worked well in the end thought we were unlucky that we were i think we were a victim of some jury shenanigans maybe um you could say though we did come 11th in the televote so even that that you know yeah that's true yeah we would have missed out slightly in the televote alone but yeah it was unfortunate, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of love for her, but sure. 
It's just one of those things, I suppose. You win some, you lose some. You qualify, you don't qualify. You win some and you lose a lot. Yeah, that's very true. It's true. It's cutthroat. One thing I'd like to know a bit more about Michael is I think when it comes to Eurovision, a lot of people are very transfixed on January to May. But what I would like to hear more about is that other part of the year we're talking NMA to December. Can you set the scene for us? You've just completed Eurovision for another year. You've arrived back in Ireland. Do we have a debrief? Is there an assessment of the year gone by? What worked, what didn't? And do we look forward to what we're doing the following year for Eurovision? When I came back, we the, we were there. Well, the final was on the Saturday, obviously. We came back on the Sunday. Brooke stayed on for a few extra days with her family. And on Monday, I came in here and I typed up a document, which was a kind of a debrief. We had a new, we have a new head of entertainment here, um, a guy called Alan Tyler. So we did, we did a change of management in the upper echelons of the organization. So so I wrote a debrief for him on, on the whole Eurovision process and how we selected a song and how we did and what I thought we could do to advance our, you know, um, chances going forward. So one of the things I suggested to him was that because, uh, you know, I'm always looking for an opportunity to try and push a standalone national final um, in here. So when you say standalone, do you mean separate to the late late, which is already on? Exactly. Something that would exist on its own. So something that would be its own Eurovision selection show. And I said, look, we've got a we've got a huge you know show which which delivers us a massive youth audience. It's turned the corner in terms of its perception, I think in the UK and Ireland. It's beginning to come back around again. People are beginning to think it's kind of cool. People are beginning to think it's got a value, not only people in the music industry, but also people who watch it as well. I think, you know, that I now suddenly realise, actually, it's not really what we thought it was, you know. So um, I know you guys have known that all along because, you know, so you're, I'm already preaching to the converted, but there's a lot of people out there who, despite the fact they, they watch it or would look at it occasionally, still in their heads think that it's this other thing than what it is, you know? And I don't know, it, it took, it's taken a long time to kind of turn that around in people's heads. Anyway, so that's all by way of saying that I thought this is a good opportunity to try and, and um, get, at least get it on the agenda in here, you know, that we would do a standalone um, show. I wasn't successful this year, unfortunately. Let's just say it was received quite well. So I'm hopeful that it's still on the agenda down the line um, in if not, well, let's hope, let's keep our fingers crossed for 2024 or 23, who knows. So unsuccessful getting a standalone show this year, but talking more about the Eurosong special within the Late Late Show, is there any view to expand that element of things? You know, we saw a special show of the Late Late be broadcast from London a few years ago. Is there any view to maybe bringing the show outside of the Orti studios to maybe the Helix or the Three Olympia, somewhere like that? Fans would love the Three Arena, but we are realistic in that element. Um, and we've seen Orti shows be recorded in the Helix recently. You know, the, the Great Irish Playlist was there. So is there any view to perhaps exploring that option? Yeah, I mean, yes, that would be the short answer to that. From my point of view, I would love to do it. But I mean, it all comes down to finance. I mean, the, the Great Irish Songbook was very basic. I don't know if you saw it. I mean, it wasn't exactly a massive setup uh, in terms of its in terms of the shooting of it. Or, and, you know, if we were to do the same with the Eurosong, it would require an awful lot more resources. And that's the one thing 
that, you know, anybody that's involved in television production knows that when you leave a television studio like this and you go and say, I mean, I do the Rose of Tralee, you know, in August, you know, you ask me, what do I do after May? Which, like, I have a lot of other things to do just besides the Eurovision. Of course, yeah. So the Rose of Tralee, like, is, is an outside broadcast. That's hundreds of thousands of euros. So that's quite a big chunk of um, cash to be looking for here to to do that. And particularly when you're doing a one off, you know, one off show or a standalone show, if you're making 30 of them, it it can it can have its own, you know, uh, economies of scale. But if you're only doing a one off, it can be very expensive for one night. And when you look at it in terms of its cost per hour, which is what people in television like to talk about, accountants in television like to talk about the cost per hour of things. It's very expensive compared to other stuff doing a standalone one-off show. So it's it's harder to convince people of that sometimes than it would be to convince people of doing a series of four or six, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious though, maybe you could tell the listeners more. I did actually watch the Great Irish playlist and I thought it was very good actually. Um, although I know it was more simple in its setup and there were what, 20 songs featured, but there was about 10 performed or something. Why would the budget for something like that, a live show, be different? That was pre-recorded. And it was was it was done with three or four cameras, maybe even less. It was mm. done without a set. We would have to be live. We would have to build a set. We would have to um, facilitate six acts, possibly with six people in them, up to 36 performers, you know, each with their own, you know, each with their own bespoke graphic and their own bespoke lighting setup, um, plus all the ancillary stuff that goes with that. We might have to put them up in hotels. We might have to, you know, we also have to pay them money as well because, you know, we don't expect people to do it for free. Um, so there's a lot of ancillary costs involved in doing it um, there. But like your set cost alone and your outside broadcast and your satellite uplink and your, you know, your your whatever you're having yourself, that all adds up to a lot of money. Like I'm doing another outside broadcast now in the end of December from the outside the three arenas. So that is that's a, that's an expensive night out as well down there on New Year's Eve. But we're fortunate that we get money. We get some money from Fulch Ireland to offset the cost of doing that. Quickly before we move on, Michael, you talk about the cost per hour there. So realistically, how much different is it in cost per hour from moving it from RTE to an outside venue like the Helix or the Three Olympia? How much of a jump is it in price? Not an exact figure, but roughly. You're asking me to give away organisational secrets. <laughs> highly sensitive commercial information. Um it it's it's an it's an order it's an order of magnitude, basically, from moving it out of the late late show to doing a standalone. You have to hire the venue, which could be 20 or 30 grand. You have to get an OB, which cost you, could cost you 100 grand. You have to get um, a lighting uh, set up. You have to get um, a set. You have to build a set. That could be another 50 or 60 grand or 70 grand, you know, depending on how elaborate you want to go. Plus, you have to, I so say, you have to accommodate all those performers, you know. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot more expensive than doing it in here. Yeah, one thing I would say, I suppose, looking into the future, hopefully we do get a standalone uh, national selection. It would be great to see. We did actually go to the Eurovision Night in the National Concert Hall with the RTE Concert Orchestra and it was brilliant. 
It was filled with loads of Eurovision fans of all ages from all places. Could it be a possibility to have a selection where there's a ticket charge and that could offset some of the costs? We could crowdfund. Well, listen, if you go and crowdfund a couple of hundred grand, come back and talk to me and I'll definitely... Yeah, no bother. Yeah, definitely be able to do something. Yeah, look, like those kind of things, like charging people to go to TV shows, like... I would rather not charge people to go to a television show, to be honest. It hasn't been the culture of RT to charge people in to our live television shows. But that's not to say that we shouldn't do it. Or that, it that it could be, you know, it could be something that might be a way of, of of doing it. Would they, you know, would we get a venue? Would we fill it with enough people over enough weeks to make it worthwhile? I don't know. Certainly help offset the costs, you're right, yeah. I'd like, I'd love, a, I'd also love a sponsor to get involved, you know. But I mean, like, I'm... Literally, you're looking at the entire Eurovision department here in our. I was going to ask you that too, um, like I, what sort of a team you have. Well, this look behind me. This is my team here. So, um, <laughs> like wall. Yeah, that's that's it. So it's just me. So uh, like, and and it's not as if other countries have Eurovision people that just do nothing but Eurovision all year round. And as I said to you, like I did the like as soon as we I came back in. May took some time off and straight into the Rosa Trilly then, which is a big like that's six hours of live television over two nights in basketball court in Trilly. Like that takes a lot of setting up as well to do. Then we launched our Eurovision thing. Then we I've just we've just made a, a New Year's Eve show as well with the Concert Orchestra in Studio Four here with Concert Orchestra. We had Tom Brennan, we had um Lyra, we had Donovan, we had Ash, we had a load of musical acts. That took a lot of my time from August to end of October. In fact, I'm still taking a bit of time because we've got to edit and make sure that thing is ready to go for New Year's Eve. So then once I've done that, I'm into trying to listen to 100, uh, sorry, 300 odd songs, trying to persuade gullible people to listen to them and help me shortlist songs for um, for the Eurosong final. And uh, then I have to organise the New Year's Eve show then we're into January, we've got the Eurosong. Then I've got St. Patrick's Day. I do the Choice Music Awards as well. Uh, sometimes I've been asked to get involved in that. Plus, this week I'm directing Primetime tomorrow. I directed Primetime last week. So, like, I they keep me busy, do you know what I mean, with stuff that's not just Eurovision. So I would love to do nothing but Eurovision, um, and I would love to have a, uh, more people help me out. But unfortunately, I don't. But sure, them's the breaks, you know. So how exactly can people really help you out? Because, you know, you're a one-man team, you're dealing with other shows, because obviously you have other jobs other than Eurovision, but, you know, things need to change. So how can exactly people help you in that department, you know? I do, in fairness, persuade people to help me out in terms of the shortlisting and songs. And also, it wouldn't be right for me just to listen to 300 songs and decide which five or six would be in the final. So, um... So like, so this year I've got like, I've got about 30 different people from all walks of life. You know, um, a lot of Eurovision fans are involved in the process again this year. Um, I have uh, people involved in the music industry as well, listening to songs. Um, I have other interested um, people in the entertainment department here helping me out. And plus on top of that, I'm also talking to acts as well, because that was one of the things that people always give out to me to say, oh, what well, you know, you never talk to any of the proper bands, blah, blah, I always do that. Right? So I always talk to bands and I've been doing that since the first day I got this gig, you know, 
um, trying to persuade, you know, established acts to take part. Do you sell it to them, Michael? Do you tell them about Johnny Frayer and about Duncan Lawrence on the TikTok? I, I, I tell you one thing, it has been easier this year because like there's been a light bulb moment amongst some people since Maniskin, since they've seen the huge success that Maniskin has enjoyed around the world. People are suddenly going, oh, I, I, you mean if we entered this, people, you know, we could actually be, you know, successful and we could actually get two billion downloads and, you know, people won't think any less of us. And um, so it's been easier this year. And I've had more, I've had more established acts come to me as well than, you know, but, but like from, say from day one, I've been going around talking to acts and they're kind of going, you know, they'd be kind of half interested, but then they they get cold feet because they just don't understand the, at least I don't think they understand the opportunity that we're providing them with necessarily. So, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that's going to change, you know, that it's a, it's a, it's a fine balance as well, because you want to, like, I don't want to come along and say, right, Eurovision fans, here's your act and here's the song. You've had no say in it. We've just selected this, you know, behind closed doors. And, you know, we've decided that it's going to be whoever, right? Um, the Coronas. We've decided it's going to be the Coronas and they're going to be singing this song. And some people go, great, the Coronas. And other people go, well, I hate the Coronas and I don't think it's a good song. And sorry, I'm nothing against the Coronas, by the way. <laughs> I'm already picking them as an example. So sorry. Danny, if you're listening to this, <laughs> nothing, I'm literally only using it as an example. But you know my point. You know the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then to get five or six acts, you you have to have a competition. And then a lot of established acts go, well, we don't, I don't like the idea of being involved in the competition because they don't want to lose to an act that may not be as established as them. You know, so that's a consideration for some people um, when they're taking part. So this year, just to say, I think I've persuaded some people to take part in it and to overcome their fear of that competition and to say to them, look, even if you go along and, and give us your best shot, nobody will think less of you if you don't get through to the, the Eurovision final, you know. So I'm, I'm, I think this time out, you'll be surprised by some of the acts. It was mentioned in the press release when submissions did open that, you know, certain acts could bypass the, the selection process and go straight through to the final of the Eurosong edition of the Late Late Show. Is, you know, do you have acts lined up already then? Or was that just put in just in case, you know, a certain big act did come forward? Yeah, I didn't. I, yeah, that's the reason why I put that line in there, because I'm yeah. talking to established acts that I said, look, if you entered this, we have a kind of a fast track process for you. And... I think that's certainly helped some some acts, persuaded some acts of, you know, to, to take part. And I have a question for you, Michael, about Eurosong itself on The Late Late. Like, obviously, The Late Late show is such an icon iconic thing on Irish television. It's like everyone in Ireland knows it well. Friday night. You, I know, and I know you love The Late Late and the Eurosong. And Listen, I will be very transparent with you. I don't like the national selection on the Late Late Show and I would not lie to your face about that but <laughs> it's a talk show primarily right and the national selection it's, a, it's an entertainment it, show yeah 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 but like it's primarily Ryan speaking to his guests more often than not no and you might have a song or two in between whereas if we're looking at a, a national section for Eurovision it's a music show mm -hmm. so if we're looking forward to Eurosong 2023 
one of my issues just as a fan would be okay. the, the the chatter in between the songs from a panel who are also voting on the songs and who are also perhaps influencing viewers at home when like in that three minutes chat you could actually maybe fit in another song yeah like look, what, uh, what uh, do you think about that for 2023 is there anything that might change from what we saw in January this year well um yeah and let me just say so when when we when I go and talk to the Late Late Show team about putting your song, song final on so now I'm dealing with another program team who have their own ideas right so course, I yeah. can't go along and impose my will on them they they're an autonomous you know program with a very very um experienced team of producers on them so so we, we we discuss how the whole thing is going to work and there are some compromises in that you know that there just have to be in that kind of collaboration so um but yes i don't think it's necessarily a good idea having the panel that commentates after each song or, or you know makes comments that you song also being the judging panel I, I don't think that's a good idea and i think that would be one change we will see this year but I did think the introduction of the international panel was mm, a good idea. Yes, I welcome that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I and, think it's good to get a flavour of what Europe thinks. Yeah, and like you're you're right, it is a talk show, and uh, primarily. But let's not forget every major act that ever broke internationally, music-wise, in this country started on the Late Late Show. So let's not forget the pedigree that it has, mm-hmm. um, and let's not forget the the the, the ready-made audience. And one of the other things that I always hear, and it bugs me because it's usually people who say it, because, but they don't know what they're really talking about, is that they go, oh, it's, this is only watched by old people, right? So that, you know, you're only, it's a late, late show, it's for, you know, whatever, 65 year old plus, whatever. The Late Late Show is one of the biggest youth audiences of any television show in the country. That's the fact, right? And But people, people for some reason, through their own um, in, inbuilt biases, um, choose to believe something else. But that's the truth of it. 40% of the audience is like 15 to 34. It's good that you have your facts and figures ready to go. Shutting, it, some... shutting them all down. <laughs> but that's, they're the facts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so a lot of people go around stating a lot of things without having facts. And, um, but it's just their own, it's just their own inherent biases or their own, you know, false views of it. You know, but that's what it, that's the, the reality is. It's got a big youth audience. You mentioned there, Michael, one of the possible changes that we'll see to Eurosong 2023 in, you know, getting rid of the studio panel's power to vote and replacing it with with another panel separate to the, to the commentating panel. Um, and I think a lot of people will welcome that change because, you know, a lot of people felt that the studio panel were quite out of touch with, you know, the international vote and also the public vote. So... And um, I think that will be welcomed. Is there any other changes that we might see to the to the show, or do you think it's largely going to remain the same, other other than that slight change that you mentioned before? Well, I mean, I, to be honest, I, I'm only when I have New Year's Eve out of the way, I'll really sit down and start thinking about how all that's going to work, and um, because we're going to have to announce our finalists at some point, so we're going to have to going to have to work out our you know promotional strategy for all of that. So that's going to take a bit of a uh, bit of doing early in January. Um, so when it comes to the format of the show, well, I mean, it's going to be six six acts because it's about, it's about the limit we can handle in uh, in studio, just in terms of changeovers and that kind of thing. 
I, I, I said to you, I think the, the panel in studio won't be the judging panel, won't be the national jury. And we'll have the international jury and we'll have a phone vote. So it'll be, I think that's the fairest way. I mean, unless you think there's a better way of doing it. I mean, I'm happy to listen to what you think. Yeah, no, I think yeah. the three tier three yeah. system's perfect. Yeah, no, definitely. Because, you know, if you have a 100% televote, then you're, you know, running into the, the problem of maybe having a Dustin 2.0 and you don't want that. Just yeah. asking the audience what they think is a dangerous thing. And the parish GAA vote yeah. in Ireland is strong, as we know. Really is. Michael, you mentioned about the jury there. So what would be the difference between, you know, the commentating jury and then the voting jury within the kind of three-tiered system? How would that work exactly? It would be a separate thing to the people in studio. And I also think the people in studios should be able to say something more than an innocuous comment. You know, I think they should Mm -hmm. nail their colours to the mast about whether they like something or whether they don't like something. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to sign all the act. Like, you know, if you have five or six acts and somebody on the panel like says, I don't think we should send, you know, Connor and Louise to Eurovision. That, that, you know, people can get quite upset about that and claim that we're being unfair to them and that we're, you know, encouraging the audience not to vote for them or whatever. Right. So I think we have to sign people up at the very start to the notion that people on the panel can say what they like and they may, you may not like what they say, but that's part of the deal. So I think it's more interesting than them saying everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> it makes better television as well, you know. Yeah. Besides everything else, it makes better television. So I think that's something that we're going to have to sign them up to. But in the past, you know, people have been quite, you know, strident in their in their views to the point of saying, Have you met my lawyers? You know? <laughs> or you odious little man. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever I don't know if we'll ever go back to that kind of that'll never be talked. That'll never be talked. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be hard to top that wouldn't it very telly though as you say <laughs> talking about it listen we're eight what is it eight years later we're still talking about it yeah <laughs> we've been talking a lot about uh voting as well within Eurosong, michael i'm just wondering if you've seen the new voting changes that eurovision have released have you had a chance to have a look and what do you think about it like i think I, first of all i think you know it it was probably self-evident looking back at it, that there was something funny going on with the juries, you know, because um, I thought, and I've said this before as well, I thought we we never got as fair a shake from the juries sometimes as I thought we should have. And particularly this year, when you look at the disparity, it was 11th with the public vote. Was it 17 with the juries or, you know, I can't remember what it was, 16 or 17 with the juries. Like, so... I thought we were, that was, I thought there was something not quite right there. And the fact that it was, it was proven when, you know, Azerbaijan were mysteriously getting 12 points across the board from some jurors in some countries, um, some countries that weren't necessarily cited as being the ones where the, the irregular voting was um, detected. But it's too open to manipulation, those juries. And if people are intent on, on, you know, I personally, I wouldn't even know how you'd begin to go about it. But there are countries out there who do, you know, um, take advantage of uh, people's weaknesses, jurors' weaknesses, and offer them all sorts of inducements to vote for them. And uh, I, like, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a real shame because um, it's complete, complete antithesis of the, of the competition. But Listen, countries countries do it and we all know who they are. And, you know, they have been, I'm trying to dance around the subject without naming anybody, but um, 
when I first got involved in, you know, Eurovision since like 2013 or whatever, not the dust in the year, 2013, there was, there was talk of jury manipulation at that stage. And that's nine, nine years ago. Um, but like nobody has ever come to me and said, can you uh, bribe your jury to vote for country A or country whatever? R, our country S. So I don't know how it works. I don't know, do they do these bring up the individual jurors? Is it more organized than that? I just don't know how that manipulation works. But I've no doubt it happens, you know. So uh, I'm glad that they've gotten rid of the jury for, for that particular reason. They've reverted to a public vote. Public vote isn't perfect, as we know, because it's, it's you know, that one of the reasons they brought back the juries was because the public vote was very much skewed towards the diasporas around Europe, you know? And so I'd sooner take my chances with the diaspora vote and a public phone vote than to be up against crooked juries because you have no chance mm. up against crooked yeah, juries. Yeah, And Olivia, one of our listeners, is wondering, will the voting changes influence the songs that you're looking for for your song? Not really, no. I mean, we're still looking for a song that's going to you know, be a Eurovision winner. So I don't think... Oh, that... I love hearing that. Yeah, winners. Yeah. Winner, yeah. Come <laughs> so, here, Michael. Well, that's what we look... Well, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, you know, that, like, I, I don't dare go in there every year hoping we come 18th. Do you know what I mean? Or hoping we come 11th in the public vote. So I'm, I go there every year hoping we're going to win, you know? So um, so do we, does that change? So, no, it doesn't. I mean, no, because, like, you, you can't... I don't think you can tell people, like, listen, you have to write a song that appeals to... Um, uh, Lithuanian pub, the public in Lithuania you have to write a song that is the best pop song you can write it has to be uh, I think authentic is one of the things that really has become apparent in the, in the competition in the last few years is that this notion of kind of manufactured plastic pop um, I'm not going to blame the Swedes entirely for it but they, they, there is like laboratories in Sweden where they can they make these mm -hmm. things artificially. Songwriting camps. And yeah. in Petri dishes they grow, you know, um performers and they they make songs and stuff. So I think that the competition is moving back towards a more organic kind of authentic feel to it. That's not to say that teams of songwriters don't collaborate together to write songs. Of course they do. But the feeling of it is much more authentic and much more less formulaic than it has been in the past. So uh, the only thing I'll do now is I, I'm now, I, I would personally veer away from those formulaic songs, you know, that somebody says like, oh, I've got the top producers in whatever country to um, produce this song. And it, it, sound, it feels and sounds, feels soulless, sounds like a computer program has made it. And so I, they're the ones I hate. Mm. Give me somebody with a guitar and a bit of passion and a mission. And I think they'll do better in Eurovision than those plastic pop songs. Absolutely. And it's good to hear that you haven't changed, you know, the type of songs that you're looking for with these changes. It's always good to look for the best songs that are submitted. But talk to us about 2023 then. How many songs have been submitted to RTE? And also, what are the quality of the songs? Are they good? Are they bad? Um, we got over 300, I think 320 something, 330 something songs. It's the same every year. Like, I mean, you know, most of the songs... Like, well, first of all, you know, it attracts all levels of ability. Let me just say that, right? Some people, I think, submit songs that who have never written songs before. 
um, but they just decide that this year they're going to have a go for some reason. Some people submit 20 songs when the rules specifically say they can only submit one, but that doesn't stop them. And the, Read the text, and, people. <laughs> these, I'm talking about people who don't read it's yeah. Who who insist on just sending every half-formed idea for a, a tune to me, which I have to listen to, which I do. So so it's it's a relatively easy an easy job to knock out seventy percent of them because they're they're just not good enough. They're just not of a standard. Not to mention the people who send me in songs that are clearly written by other people, like well-known songs. Um, <laughs> somebody sent me in a song that was uh, an Ariana Grande song, uh, <laughs> so that didn't make the shortlist. Um, oh although it was very good. Uh, <laughs> somebody else sent me in an Oasis song that they had done. A, they did a version Oasis. of an, an Oasis song, but they sang. They they sent. They did a version of the Oasis song and sent it to me. God, gas! Oh so my God, that's so. They're the kind of things. So it's easy to get rid of those kind of things. Then, then we get down to about maybe, you know, I was kind of being a bit more generous this year. We we got a letter in about sixty into the shortlist, you know, and then that sixty, then I I've, I've sent out to, as I said to you, about twenty five or thirty people. So I'm in the process of waiting for those people to get back to me with their top tens. I've got a, I've gotten a few back already and already I can see the same songs mm. appearing. There's one that's, I've got about four, I think people have sent back their lists already. And one song has appeared in all four of those lists. Some songs have appeared in three out of four of those lists. So that gives us a very, very good idea. You know, when, when all of those people get back to me by the end of the week, and um, that will be, it, it gets very, very, clear than where the, the good songs are and you know and also it it cuts out because the more you listen to these things the worse your judgment gets like that's a fact you can't if you sit down and listen to 10 songs those 10 songs will begin to grow on you to the point where you can't distinguish which is better than the other one you know yeah. so, so it helps to have as many heads as possible you know fresh ears yeah yeah exactly fresh ears yeah. Uh, Michael, have you heard our junior Eurovision song sent by T.G. Cahir? I have, yeah. And I've been talking to the writer of that song, Niall Mooney, um, who has written many Eurovision songs, I'm sure you know. Uh, so he's heading out to Yerevan, I think, in December 8th or 9th or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I've been talking to Niall. He sent me the song. I had listened to it, looked at the video. It's very good. I must say, mm-hmm. very impressed by her. She's a great singer. It's a great song. Mm. Um, and you know I wish her all the best yeah we can't wait to support her and see her on the big stage and you know it's great to see the representation of Irish on the big stage across Europe and yeah it would be great to see that in the main contest as well you know people always ask about you know songs in the Irish language we don't get songs in the Irish language people just don't send us in songs I think I've got I got one I think this year and it's in my shortlist so that's like you know out of 330 songs, you would think you'd get more than just one. So is there any desire then from RT or yourself even to, you know, approach a songwriter like Niall to write a special Irish song for Eurovision? It's the T.G. Cahar model. And, we, you know, we've seen it work. So this is really, really popular and one of the kind of outside favourites for this year's con- contest, you know. So is there any desire or, you know, plans for that to happen in the future or? I don't want to go along and say, Niall, write a song. And then I like to say, Niall, I hate your song. 
and sorry, you know. So I I I I don't go around telling people to you know um, necessarily try and write to order, if you know what I mean. But I but I mean I would encourage anybody who can write a song in Irish to write a song in Irish. But at the same time, it has to be of a standard. You know what I mean? It can't. It doesn't get any brainy points just for being an Irish mm-hmm. in Eurovision. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't. At least I don't think so. I think yeah. it has to stand alone as a top pop song, you know, and it has to have its own merits uh, musically, not just lyrically, you know. So, uh, so I'm, look, I'm still waiting, you know, but I'm sure one is out there. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, it shouldn't necessarily be Irish for Irish's sake, you know. Putting a song in just because it's in Irish, even though we know in our hearts it's not good enough, mm. is a waste of time. Yeah, but then I wonder, like, and I know you mentioned this in an article you released earlier on in the year with tips for writing a good Eurovision song, you referenced that national language songs tend to do well. I do wonder if, you know, as you mentioned, there's Irish songs within the shortlist. If one of them made it through to Eurosong, would that representation maybe encourage Irish singer-songwriters to go for Eurosong another year? Yeah, but at the same time, it I think it needs to earn its place in Eurosong as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We can't just take up a space that mm-hmm. could go to a, a, a song that, that has a, yeah. a song that's a contender, you know, whereas you can't just put a song in, even though, you know, in your heart, it's going to crash and burn just because, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same, th- same thing, like, you know, if, you know, I say you have to kind of um, overcome your own inherent biases as well, you know, because if I listen to songs, I go, I really like the sound of this person's voice, but the song isn't great. But, yeah. you know, is that a reason to put it in the Euro song final? No, it's not, you know, because the song has to be good. The performer has to be good. The song has to be great. The performer has to be great. You know, the whole package has to be, has to be, has to really earn its place, you know. And where, where it really gets hard is when you end up with 10 songs and you're trying to pick six. That's yeah. where, that's where it really gets tough, actually. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at six or in around that figure for January. I, I think so, yeah. And not notwithstanding that one or two acts may already be fast-tracked to the final, we may only be looking for four or five. Interesting. Very interesting to know that. So you mentioned January there. Is that when we expect Eurosong on our screens then? Sorry, well, well, the, the Eurosong will be the 3rd of February, something like that. Friday the 3rd of February. Pencil it in because you know how to Pencil it in, yeah. Yes, of course. Pencil it in. We got a question in from Tommy Michael. He was asking about the three-year plan that you set out a few years ago. How is it going or did really, you know, COVID mess it all up? How many years ago did, did you mention the three-year plan? It like, was 2019. Year three of the three-year plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's going very well. Tell me the, well, I, I, you know what? I can't even remember what the three-year plan was. What did I say? Did I put? Did I commit to a three-year plan? Did I Must say? have committed somewhere, Michael. I don't know. We can, okay. we can skip out. It's on the Eurovision website. Okay, it's on the Eurovision website. All right, okay. Tommy, I have failed you. I'm sorry. I, I, I should have had a list of deliverables every year that um, key performance um, goals that I had to hit every year, and <laughs> I have unfortunately failed to do that. Um, but I'm I'm trying to be a better person every year, a better person at selecting Eurovision songs, better person at doing better at Eurovision. That's you know that's my that's my goal. And by the way, can I just because while we're on the the subject, because I'm sure the next question is why don't you quit or why don't why 
Why haven't you been fired? In Dawkins and I, we got so many. We got so many. Yeah, 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 we yeah. left them out for him to say to me. Inbox is like. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think I don't get those directly to my email as well? Oh, um, I have no doubt, especially the, the days <laughs> after your mission. The hours even. The it's very constructive. That, the abuse that I get is like no other producer in RT has to put up with the abuse <laughs> that I get. Um, do you know what? Like, I don't know what people think I do. Like, do, do people think I sing the song myself and that I that I play every instrument on it and that I go out there and I tell people what to do and I tell all the performers what to do? I don't. Like, I mean, I'm 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 only the facilitator of the artist and the um the act, you know. And I, I'm not. I don't pick the song on my own. You 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 know. I've I've, I've talked you through the process of how the song is picked. There's a lot of people involved in selecting the song in the shortlist, you know, in the final and the ultimate six. So, um, so I'm only really the facilitator. Like, I, like you could, you could, you could, I could quit in the morning, and you know, I'd have an easier life, I'm sure. And um, you know, I, I've I've seen enough of the Eurovision now to, you know, not to, you know, not to feel like I'm missing out too badly, I'm sure. But you might get somebody else who's appointed that wouldn't have the same interest or the same. The same level of enthusiasm for it, and who might it might just be another gig for them, and you know the results may. I don't. I don't know how the results could be different because, as I said, like everything I do in here is also, is always discussed with the with the management and all that kind of stuff. So it's not as if I'm some sort of dangerous maverick, a loner, <clears throat> off on my own, you know, doing things and not uh, actually, you know, paying, you know. A, any attention to what anybody else says in here or not. So so I'll do it as long as people in here are happy for me to do it. And as long as um, I feel I've got something to bring to it, you know, and at the moment I still feel I do. I still enjoyed the thing. I still have a lot of love for the competition. So I'm not um, cynical about it. I'm not jaded about it. Um, I still have that desire and passion to go, want to go out there and do well every year, you know? So um, I think once, well, A, they could, you know, get a knock on the door behind me and tell me, listen, you know, you're, you're, fire, you you're have done. to go off and you have to go off and produce the Radar C show again, or, you know, whatever it is. So that could happen. Or, um, or at the end of this year, I could just go, listen, I feel like I'm done. You know what I mean? I, you know, we've won the it. The inbox could get too much. <laughs> well, do you know what? You wouldn't want to have too uh, thin a skin for some of the stuff that you get sent, you know, because oh, yeah. that's pretty. Oh yeah, and not only that, but like people write to the director general telling her to fire me as well as that, like you know, mm. so they don't just write to me. I think there is a constructive way of doing it, you know. Don't take it over the mark, you know. If you have comments, submit them, but don't be rude or cruel to it, you know. There's a constructive way of of expressing your view. Usually, I mean, I get it because usually a lot of the abuse comes from frustration. And it doesn't necessarily come from a genuine understanding of this organization or of how, you know, people look back to the good old days of the 1990s and go, well, you know, we won it then and, you know, you weren't involved and that must be the reason, you know, uh, why we were doing well back then. The, the reason is, uh, you know, everybody knows the reasons. Different you know, contests, yeah. Different, a completely different contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's even a different contest now than it was 10 years ago. There's no question yeah, about that. So, so there's lots of reasons. It's it's I mean, it's it's very easy to, you know, um, pick on one individual or one organization mm -hmm. or one reason or one television program or one thing and say that's the root cause of all our problems. It's not really, to, to be honest, it's a combination of lots of different things, and 
not least the caliber of song and act that we get. You know, I can't magic up a winning Eurovision song or a winning Eurovision act if one doesn't volunteer themselves, you know. So that's ultimately where the where the issue is, you know. So I think I'm hope we're turning a corner in that we're getting more and more professional acts who are used to performing at a higher level than, you know, I mean, I like I've, I've been there when people have gone out there and they've been terrified, you know, on stage and it, it hasn't been fair to them, but they were selected, you know, and they were selected either through, you know, the, the Eurosong finals that we've had here or through public vote or whatever it is, you know, but they have been quite inexperienced and they've gone out there and they have been, literally, I take my hat off to anybody who wait on stage and stand in front of 20,000 people in, you know, in an arena and 100 million people at home, you know, mm. not easy. And, it, and the Eurovision, the Eurovision um, machine is like a pressure mill. Like if you actually, when you're in the middle of it, you know, it, it is actually, um, it's hard to tell, it's hard to describe to people. I know you both have been to it, but it's hard to describe when you're on the inside of it how pressurized it actually gets, you know, because mm. I mean, when you're going, to, when you're in the backstage area and you're on that treadmill, going to the in-ear monitoring, going to the the rehearsal, you get your 30 minutes, you go to the viewing room, you know, it's it's a pressure cooker. And then you've got to try and fix all the issues that you've identified before the next rehearsal, you know, and then that's even more pressurized the next rehearsal because you get less time, you know, and plus you're heading towards the live semi-final, you know, so it's, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a tough old gig. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Michael, we are going to let you go shortly because you've been so generous with your time. Um, I suppose from our point of view, I mean, obviously we don't condone abusive messages or unkind words that's not helpful or constructive to anybody. Um, I suppose that in recent years, there's been a real rejuvenation of passion and interest in Eurovision in Ireland, especially amongst younger fans finding each other. And I think quite often for a lot of fans, really, they just don't know the behind the scenes or they're wondering what's going on in RT behind the scenes. So I think, you know, you coming on this podcast with us and I know you've done other podcast episodes and you spoke to Connor last year. I think it really gives us a better insight into what you do and we do appreciate you being open and willing to engage with us. So we appreciate that a lot. Yeah, well, look, I tell you know, it's like it, it's, it shouldn't be a secret what we do in here. Mm. You know what I mean? And the Eurovision isn't a secret. It's like, it, it you know, I mean, obviously there's, there's you know, um, the, sort of, the sort of a level of detail that we, we just can't get into for obvious reasons. We can't tell you how much we pay, you know, choreographers are, you know, how much we spend on our stage show. I mean, you get a figure at the end of the year that tells you how much we spend on Eurovision. It's not enough, to be perfectly honest, you know. And I think we're one of the few, we're one of the few countries that will actually tell you, or one of the few organizations around Europe that actually tell you how much we spend on Eurovision. Um, and give you a reasonable breakdown of what the, where the money goes. So, like, the, one of the things that I did, and maybe this goes back to the three-year plan, was I started doing these kind of Eurovision forums in here, you know, kind of fan forums in uh, August. And I, I did two or three of them in here. And that was a good way of getting to hear what fans wanted, or, you know, what, well, let me just say, it was a good way for fans to vent their frustration at me and the organisation. But it was also a good way of us 
try to explain the sort of um you know the sort of uh, considerations that that I have to deal with in here like you know I just don't get a blank nobody gives me a blank check and says here you know put that on in the three arena if you want or put that you know or do what you like or here's a you know two million euro and go nuts whatever they don't right so everything is very carefully managed from a financial point of view we I have to lobby every year I've been lobbying as I told you to try and get a standalone show you know I'm hopeful that some point in the future before you know whatever I sail off into the sunset that we we get that up and running and I think it will be you know it, I think it'll be a very successful series if we do but it's it's you know I mean it's a dogfight in here with every cent for television you know to make television so um so anyway look I'm 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 wearing people down slowly over the years but but those fan forums were a good way of trying to explain to people the sort of um you know things that I have to do with within internally in RTE like in terms of you know how television programs are made and how we select acts and all that kind of stuff you know so yeah no absolutely and Michael you said earlier yourself you know you're a one-man show you don't really have a big team you know we see broadcasters like the BBC for example who have teams and teams of people within the team um so I think like you said earlier it's great that you have been so transparent with people about the process of Eurovision within RTE and I think a lot more people will understand perhaps maybe the pressure that is on you you know working by your by yourself yeah, a lot of people, and even people within this organization think that, like, you know, Eurovision is a two week thing that happens in May, and that you don't, you know, that nothing happens, you know, outside of those two weeks. But as I said to you, like, as soon as they come back, I usually start writing up a, a debrief. Then we're, you know, um, we're, we're more or less like by the middle of August, we're back into planning the Eurovision selection process. Um, you know, I usually spend a lot of June talking to acts, acts as well, you know, to, you know, that I think might do well and trying to persuade them of the benefits of doing it, you know, so like it's, it's 365 days of the year. But anyway, there's well, not much I violin think... in the world I can hear playing <laughs> for me in my troubles. Well, listen, Michael, I'm looking forward to seeing the involvement of Ireland in Eurovision. And, you know, it's good to see some little changes are happening and things that will be tried. And look, Michael, the only way is up um, from here. So fingers crossed that we represent ourselves well in Liverpool, in our neighbouring country. Fingers crossed. I'm very hopeful. For, I know I say this every year, but I am like, and I am very hopeful every year. And because I get so invested in our act every year, like you cannot do it without becoming hundred percent invested in, you know, Brooke or you know uh, Leslie or Sarah or Ryan or you know I don't want to go back over the last whatever many years, but so it is crushing disappointment for me as much as it is for anybody else you know more so in fact because I do more thinking about the investment yeah than anybody you know I would think in the country because the actor only has to start thinking about it once they get chosen whereas I'm thinking about this from the day the other competition finishes you know so but uh yeah I think you're right I think the only way it's up I think um 2023 could be our year and you know who knows Maybe we'll be holding it in the three arena next year. <laughs> Get booking out. <laughs> well, listen, Michael, thank you so, so much for joining us on the Aerovision podcast. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Michael. Not at all. Nice to talk to you guys. Aerovision. So there we have it. Bossman, Michael Keeley. Interesting mm-hmm. interview. Some food for thought. We are also, of course, very appreciative to Michael for giving up 
uh, his time. Yeah, thank you, Michael. And very generous with his time and good humoured too. Yeah, we got we got our questions in, and I think mm. the fans will be happy with the questions that we asked as well. Yeah. I think a lot of transparency in that interview, which was good yeah. and needed. A lot of Irish fans submitted to our question box on Instagram and Twitter, a lot of our listeners, and hopefully some of what they asked got answered. I think we could have easily gone into a second era, Connor, and continued yeah. on. But, I think uh, all we were missing was three points or something like that. Oh, I know. It could have been a great yeah. little chapel. Very grateful yeah. to have had that chance. And, you know, Michael has been like high up on our list of people to chat to since yeah. starting the podcast. So it's been great to have him on. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to February 3rd. Yeah, pencil that in. As he said. And hopefully in January we'll have some more news and you can be sure, lads, that myself and Connor will be here to dissect and digest it all Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. Be like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> fan. I was going to say like fan counselling instead of like couples counselling. <laughs> Mutual fan. Mutual fan. Um, no, there's some... Know. I think there's a few things to look forward to. I think so too. I think so too. There's some interesting names and genres that could appear yeah I think we need to keep our eyes peeled for that definitely mm-hmm. absolutely but you know that's all ahead of us 2023 Liverpool let's have it bring it on guys thanks so much for joining us on the Eurovision podcast I'm starting to lose track even of what episode what episode yeah we need to stop calling episodes <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, thank you so much for all the engagement on Twitter and Instagram it honestly blows my mind we put out questions how many responses we get so thank you so much thank you for your really kind messages and words of support please do give us a review wherever mm-hmm. you listen to this podcast uh, just to help other Eurovision fans find us and if there's any topics you would love to hear discussed or guests you would love to hear more from on the podcast do get in touch and let us know guys absolutely do find us on all the social medias as usual Eurovision just type us in and you'll find us but yeah no and of course subscribe follow us wherever you get your podcasts we're in the self promo part of the the last minute (laughs) Uh, but lads thank you so much for tuning in chat to you soon and we'll say Slonga Fall Fall.